Welcome back to another live stream. Uh, nobody's here yet, but we'll let things get rolling on tour this week. Uh, cast of characters uh, tour. Right now we're in Palm Springs. And uh, I said earlier that we're going to do a live stream. So here we are doing a live stream. Lucas got tired, though, and he went to bed. So it's just me. But uh, we're going to do a, the live stream with Lucas tomorrow, I think. Is he... Uh, he decided to go to bed. So um, thanks for your questions for, for that live stream with Lucas. We're going to do that again, like I said. We'll do that tomorrow. But uh, today I wanted to just jump on and go back to some of the questions that I got from last week that I didn't get a chance to answer and uh, get it recorded and get it thrown up uh, on the Internet sometime this week or next week. Um, so thanks for being here. As always, feel free to throw in some questions into the live stream. And if you don't have any questions, that's totally fine. I have uh, plenty to, to go from here from uh, last week's uh, Q&A that I could not get uh, through all the way. So having a little trouble here on the road before I get into it. My lips are getting super dry and a uh, little hack for people. You know, I usually say get um, vitamin E the capsules and pop them open and then like kind of rub them on your chops because I have my chops kind of split right here uh last well they it happened today while I was driving but because they got kind of sore from playing the night before we played at the blue whale on Sunday and uh it was really it was a fun gig but I played probably a little too hard but today I found um this which is vitamin e oil so you don't even have to uh pop open the vitamin e cap capsules you can just uh, put the oil right on right on your chops so little fun fact i'm not a, like some people use that chop saver stuff uh or something else but uh, i'm not a big fan of that <clears throat> but i just use the vitamin e stuff so if you're having any chop problems that's ch chop like dryness problems or like your lips are splitting and stuff that's what i go to uh, just this vitamin e this is vitamin e oil but uh anyway Welcome. Thanks for being here. And uh, like always, feel free to drop it in here. It says, where did I get this vitamin E oil from? Uh, Ebouts Music said that. And uh, I got that at Walgreens, just uh, in the vitamin area. I was going to buy just the, ta just the cap capsules like usual and pop it open and then, you know, put it on. But uh, I'm not a medical doctor. Don't know why it works. But uh, it's always worked for me. Somebody told me to do that, and uh, it's always worked really great. So, actually, it might have been Nadia Nordhaus, great trumpet player. But, uh, but yeah. So that's that's that. That's my little little problematic tour problem, uh, number one. Uh, but uh, all is well, and we're playing tomorrow night, Wednesday, March eleventh, in Palm Springs, California. So if you are in the area, or if you know anybody in the area, feel free to send them our way. The ja the series is called Jazzville, and uh, we'll be at uh, that Jazzville place uh, tomorrow at seven o'clock. So if you are in Palm Springs or know someone, send them our way. And then we're off to Denver and Reno, and that's the end of this first leg of the tour. But uh, it's been really fun so far. But uh, I'm gonna jump in here. This is a pretty long question. Um, but, uh, it's from Augustus Bradbury trombone. That's his, uh, handle, but it's a pretty long question. So give me a second to read it all. He says, this is for the Q and a session post that you put in your story. My question was too long. So he sent me a DM. 
says, I'm currently studying music and I'm getting a BA in music. My school doesn't offer a performance degree and this is the closest thing to one. I want to continue my studies at the graduate level. The end goal is to teach at the college level slash perform. My question is, what is the process that you send your students through when looking for grad school? My professor has given me insight on this topic, but I want multiple views. Could you explain some degree tracks? For example, I want to study trombone performance and I want to study both classical and jazz. Some schools offer both degrees, trombone performance, jazz, trombone performance. I want to be a well-rounded musician. What do you recommend? Thanks for considering. I'm enjoying the album. Well, I'm glad you're digging the album. Um, am I ever going to play in Orange County, Kai BC? I don't know. Where should I play in Orange County? I didn't know there was a venue in Orange County. You'll have to tell me. Um, so, Augustus, I guess let me try to answer your question uh, in a few parts here. I think that when you're trying to get a master's degree, you should think about a few things, and that's location, your goals in life, you know, your goals for what kind of music you want to be playing, the place you want to be living, the type, the type of colleagues that you want to have, peers that you want to have, and try to go towards that place for your master's degree so that you can kind of blur the line between your school career and your you know, quote-unquote, real life or real career, uh, it shouldn't wait until school's over to start. I think you should start as soon as you can um, in your professional performance career while you're in school. So um, I would highly suggest not waiting around for that. So figuring out where you want to be at. And then secondly, like who is the teacher that's doing the things that you want to be doing that you could go to them and try to, you know, get that information from them, whether it's, you know, a classical teacher that's playing in an orchestra and also teaching at a college, or it's somebody who's a great freelancer or a great doubler, or is someone that, uh, I don't know, could be any, anything, but trying to identify what it is that you want to be doing, uh, in terms of your performance career and teaching career, uh, and then going to a place that has a teacher that has that expertise, I think that's important. I think not going into a lot of debt is also important for grad school. Um, as a person that went to kind of expensive schools, I would kind of suggest, you know, making sure that that's something you're thinking about. Um, it's it's not not important, you know. So I would I would think about where you can get a good deal, you know. The piece of paper is just the start. The piece of paper is not necessarily going to be the thing that allows you to work in the world. Um, it just it it's just not. And you should think about uh, which kind of track you want to take. Like a master's degree is kind of a specialized degree. Um, I don't think you should try to do too much in a master's degree that's what you should be doing in your bachelor's degree you know if you're getting a ba that's totally cool you can't get a performance degree but you should be checking out jazz and classical and pop and rock and everything um you should be doing all that stuff and when you're uh, in undergrad you know you should be trying to get a broad sense and then the master's is kind of in my view something to focus you uh more towards a track uh to to follow later in life through past school. So uh, if it was me, I think that's what I would do. I would want to focus, not get broader. You know, we have some students that auditioned this year at UNT and wanted to be jazz and classical master's students were kind of saying like, you need to pick, you know, you can't do everything all the time. Um, you have to have some kind of specialty, I think, um, 
obviously we want to be well-rounded musicians. We attack our uh, weaknesses. We try to get better at all the things we're bad at, and that's something that I am a pro- proponent of. But you can't always be the best at everything, and you got to kind of pick where you think you want to be going and doing and going to a teacher that's going to allow you to do all those things that you want to do so if someone is a freelancer and you want to be a freelancer you should study with someone that's doing all that stuff um so i think those are a bunch of thoughts about this um i mean it really comes down to what your end goals are so i would work backwards from the end you know think about where you want to be think about who you want to be playing with all that kind of thing and then be honest with yourself about, you know, the level that you're at and what types of programs you can get into and what, what are some aspirational places you want to go to. I mean, it's not necessarily the end of the line with a master's because if you want to be teaching college, you have to have one of two things. One is extensive performance experience, playing with, you know, people like in New York, if you want to be a jazz musician, in New York or in L.A., doing like high-level jazz stuff. And if you're not doing that then it's going to be difficult for you to get a college teaching degree, or I'm sorry, not to get the degree, to get a job without that experience or that piece of paper. So I would definitely recommend that you think about that. So you either got to get the performance experience or you got to get a doctorate. So the master's is really just setting you up maybe even to get a doctorate later on. So it's not the end all. And I know this is a long answer and a long question. It's taken up the last seven minutes or something like that. But Uh, I thought it was a very thoughtful question from Augustus Bradbury. And so, Augustus, thanks for the question. And as always, feel free to drop some in here. I see someone has left one. What's up, Will B. Marks? Hello. I never heard from um, Kai Bisi, that's his name. Sorry, I was scrolling back. About where to play in Orange County. If somebody has a good lead on a venue in Orange County, California, I'd be happy to play there. But I don't know any. All right, here's a question. Uh, let's see. These are questions. Um, these are questions from the other live stream that we're going to do later. But uh, great. So we're going to do those next time with Lucas. Like I said, if you're just joining us now, Lucas is uh, sleepy. So he went to bed. But I'm still doing this live stream because I said I was going to. Um, so let's keep on going. If you got questions, feel free to drop them in. Um, but there were some other really good ones that we talked about that we didn't get a chance to talk about all of last time. So this was another really great question. Skewing jazz, trombone specific, but uh, if you have other topics you want to talk about, feel free to, to share. Oh, here we go. Cook's Chapel at the Anaheim Packing House in OC is a great one. Okay, all right. I'm going to look this up right now. Cook's Chapel... Anaheim. All right, I'll check it out. Thank you for the suggestion, Tucker. Much appreciated. Um, the next question here is some essential albums to check out specifically by trombone players. I can only say from my experience, because um, there's so many records out there, but I'll tell you the ones that made the biggest impact on me, and that was J.J. Johnson in person. Um, just as in person on it. It's also There's also J.J. Johnson trombone master. Uh, and then for me, the other big trombone record is actually like blue train and a bunch of the art blakey records that curtis plays on um so for me the jj records in person and then there's the one with the octet the octet with kai winding and six other trombones those were huge for me there was a double cd that was jj uh trombone 
master and also that one, the octet. And so that was hugely influential on me. Uh, Paulo Trombone, 87, he says, Nick, do you like to play salsa trombone? When I was in college, I played probably four salsa gigs a week. It was super fun, and I loved doing it. But when I got to New York, I didn't uh, play that many salsa gigs for whatever reason. Uh, From what I heard, the scene had kind of changed, and there was less work. But I really do enjoy that. Really dig Barry Rogers and and uh, all those guys that really did it great. And there's so many bands, you know, I was checking out that had a cool instrumentation. It was like three trombones and flute. That's pretty cool. And I got to play with a lot of, a lot of salsa guys used to come through Rochester. There's a pretty big Puerto Rican population in Rochester. So there was a big f- festival every year and there'd be um, great artists coming up to play. And so I had the opportunity to play with a lot of them, which was pretty cool. Um, but other essential jazz trombone albums, um, I like um, Slide Hampton on Dexter's album uh, Day in Copenhagen. That one I find to be essential. Um, and then, let's see, I mean, I really just focus on that JJ stuff I did anyway, the in-person and live at the Opera House. And so there's like three or four records of JJ's that I just dove in super deep and kind of checked out for a really long time and... I didn't go necessarily that broad right away, you know. There's a lot that I would recommend now, but uh, basically J.J. and Curtis were the two that I focused on when I was in high school, and that was through Blue Train, and that was through um, those J.J. records I mentioned. Um, And then beyond that, I really like Lawrence Brown, and Lawrence has a great record uh, called Slide Trombone, and that one is a really good uh, study of, like, that period of trombone playing that's like post-swing but pre-bebop so kind of like even though it's after the bebop era was recorded like um it's it's still that type of play because lawrence played with duke ellington for a long time and he was part of that swing era so he's got all that kind of like swing era vocabulary that i really dig um it's like pre-bop pre-jj so there's that record too um but i could just list records forever so i'm not going to try to do that but thank you to aiden schulthies Shelfies music. Uh, sorry, I'm butchering your name, but I appreciate the question. Um, couple, there's a couple more here. Let's see. Have you met Arturo Sandoval? And how do I get better at arranging? Uh, no, I've not met Artur, Arturo Sandoval. Um, he's a great trumpet player, though. Huge sound, which I really, really dig. Uh, how do I get better at arranging? You get better at arranging by arranging. Um, you get a band. And just start rehearsing regularly, bring arrangements in. If you're in school, bring something in every week. Just force yourself to do it. Um, Transcribe arrangements that you like. Uh, If you want to get better at three-horn writing, then transcribe three-horn arrangements. If you want to get better at big band writing, transcribe big band arrangements or get scores and check check it out because there's, you know... A lot of things that go into it in terms of your own reconception of the piece, like how are you going to redo it as an arrangement or are you just going to like a voice out the melody, you know, you can do do that, or you could be totally rearranging it, you know, so trying to separate those different elements of like organization and then reharmonization, the flow of the chart, and then you have things like orchestration and like voicings, which are like super specific, so you want to kind of check out all those different things, but start arranging and transcribing what you're trying to arrange. And then Alf underscore flowers, he asks, um, 
what's a good arrangement of autumn leaves that you've heard? Uh, Miles Davis. Uh, good arrangements. Oh, you know, there's a great version of Autumn Leaves by Cannonball Adderley on a, tune, on a thing called Great Love Songs. It's with an orchestra. It's pretty hip. I would send you to that one. Ebout's music. Uh, yeah, that's J.J. Johnson Live at the Opera House. That's the one with Stan Getz. That's the one. Uh, Mateo, Mateo Zamora Music. He says, Marshall Jokes, question mark. What about Marshall? Love Marshall. Uh, he's amazing. I love his stuff. I think the first time I heard Puddle Jumping, I almost uh, quit playing trombone, I think. That was when I was in college when that came out. So uh, I did my best to learn it at one point. I couldn't play for it, play it for you right now. But yeah, Marshall is super inspiring and uh, cool, a cool guy to hang out with. And he's uh, we've played some gigs together. When did I see him last? I think at the Gen Conference I saw Marshall. So yes, I like Marshall, if that was the question. Not sure if that was the question. But uh, as usual, feel free to drop in some questions here on Instagram or if you're watching uh, later on YouTube, feel free to leave some in the comments and we'll get to those in the next live stream. Uh, yes, Rich Madison. I've heard of Rich Madison. He used to teach at UNT where I teach now. There are some uh, albums, some vinyl records of his in my office that uh, have been floating around UNT. So uh, yeah. He is, I don't know, Richard McDonald, this is who asked that question about Rich Madison. Uh, I just recently heard of him, and I'm not sure how known he is. I think it depends on uh, the circles that you run in, but um, I try to know as many people as I can, try to get as deep as I can um, amongst, you know, low brass jazz stuff. So, uh, yeah, I think he's pretty well known within certain circles. So, yeah, definitely worth checking out. Everybody's worth checking out, in my opinion. Um, so there's some more questions here. Feel free to, like I said, drop them in here, but I have some more that I didn't get to really talk about. Uh, one that I just want to reiterate here was one from Richiro.f. He says, how do you get a consistent tone? Uh, the answer there is to do long tones. And then the uh, second step of that, which I didn't really get to in the last um, Q&A, about consistent tone is doing whisper tones. So what are whisper tones? Whisper tones are, you know, um, playing like right on the edge of the sound starting and stopping. So what I like to do is go from no sound and blow until it's right on the edge of actually buzzing and you hold the note right there at that, that very, 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 very soft sound. Why do we do this? Well, it's because you're feeling right where on the chops the buzz is starting and you'll be able to pinpoint exactly how much air you need to start the buzz and then you can hold it and it helps to purify the sound a little bit. Like if you get a little fuzzy, uh, like my chops are a little beat up after that gig the other day. So uh, when I play tomorrow, I'm going to definitely be doing those whisper tones. So long tones, whisper tones. Wynton Marcellus talks about whisper tones too. Um, you can do them with or without tongue. It's really hard to do them with tongue. So I do them mostly without. And, you know, we used to talk about those with Steve Teray as well um, when I was in school doing those whisper tones. And they've been super, super helpful. So if you're trying to develop your tone, uh, I definitely recommend recommend doing that. Uh, let's see. So uh, I'm going to jump into this question. Uh, well, I'll answer this one first. Trevor Furman, I think. He's got no vowels in his... Uh, 
name here on Insta, but uh, he says, how can I prevent double buzzing? Um, that is a good question. How can I help you with that? Double buzzing usually happens when something is just kind of fundamentally wrong with how you're playing, like uh, either you're overplaying or doing whisper tones and stuff like that. You're not like focused. The embouchure is maybe buzzing in two different places. If you do those whisper tones that I was just talking about and kind of focus on getting one spot that's actually doing the work, it's actually creating the sound, that could be pretty helpful. To stop the double buzzing, maybe you're blowing too hard. Um, maybe you're blowing more air than your horn can handle if you're playing a small instrument. Um, I don't know exactly what the situation is that is causing the double buzz or when you have a double buzz. Sometimes it happens when people are tired. Uh, when their chops get tired, they start to double buzz and stuff. So um, I would recommend backing off. I would recommend... Uh, trying to find more efficient ways of playing, uh, buzzing, maybe, or just buzzing, trying to use the air to make the buzz. Sometimes double buzzing comes from too much pressure, um, and sometimes it comes from like activating two different spots on your chops. So doing those whisper tones, again, can really help you zone in and kind of focus on one spot on your, on your embouchure. That's where the sound is coming from, so I would recommend that as a place to start. Uh, hopefully that's helpful to you. Trevor. Um, so another question. So this one, it might be a little bit of a longer answer, but I figured I talked about this on an interview earlier today with a jazz journalist. And so it's kind of been, was also on my mind. So uh, Nick Rolls Music, one of the students from UNT, he asked, what was your process for composing cast of characters? So I often talk about, and this kind of relates to the arranging question as well. Uh, something I stole from a master class with John Clayton, the great bassist. He talked about something that kind of changed the way that I think about music, uh, orchestration, and composition. He just said, he, he didn't say directly, directly related to this question, but what he said was he, that he sometimes will write down in words his plan for a chart, for an arrangement or a composition, and just plan out the events like what is going to happen or what's the mood or just general things and words that help you to focus your thoughts and it's totally changed the way that um, I organized my compositional time and uh, helped me really get all this music together for this record. Um, so what I did was I kind of decided that I was going to do the record that was going to have these characters and I kind of decided that I wanted to have different moods and I wanted a bunch of little short pieces to kind of intersperse between these character pieces, which is kind of how the record is organized. And so what I did was I wrote out in words like different characters that could be featured in this thing, like who are they or what are they or what are the archetypes of these people or what are the things that are interesting about them or what is the mood, what are the emotions, what are just different words that describe it. So I started writing things down in terms of words, in terms of feelings and emotions and events and stuff like that. So I didn't necessarily start just directly writing a tune. I started by brainstorming ideas that were just words and emotions and thoughts and events and like, wouldn't it be cool if we did something that was was just drums and horns with no bass and all different textures and just ideas that I could start to organize 
And then what I did was I decided that I wanted the whole record to be tied together with a certain amount of um, compositional material that was the same or similar. So I picked, I've said this before in a different video, but I won't go into this too far, but just there's two triads, a triad pair uh, that I based it on. And so then what I did is I took a big piece of staff paper, like a big band chart size staff paper, and I just started writing all different ideas all over this piece of staff paper. So uh, it's just a total mess. And it's just like, here's a chord sequence, and then here's a melody snippet, or like, what happens if I put you know, it was D and D flat. So what happens if I put D flat over D? And what happens if I put a D over D flat? Like it's different sound, different timbre, different texture. What if I eliminate one of the notes? So I just have five of those six notes. What if I have four of those six notes? What kind of other chords can I make with those notes? What happens if I put alternate bass notes? Uh, what happens if I plane them over a pedal? You know, just like all different ideas. And then I started to match up the ideas with the emotions and the thoughts that I was having about, you know, what those characters could be. And just kind of like a puzzle matching up the emotion and the feeling with what the idea sounded like with the idea that I had in my head uh, from this John Clayton thing, this writing of the words and organ organization down. So um, I... Uh, went about it that way and I wrote it that way and then I used some like Bob Brookmeyer type techniques that I learned from a teacher of mine at Eastman named Dave Ravello uh, just about you know breaking stuff apart and finding other ways of organizing it and to make it kind of sound similar so uh, using things like retrograde and you know nerdy music stuff but I'm kind of a big fan of set theory so I kind of have, not a big fan but a fan of the, using that as a way to organize stuff because um, I just find the idea of like putting it onto that kind of pitch wheel, if you know what I'm talking about, putting on the pitch wheel and then like turning something or like changing it by one note or something. Like it's super interesting how it sounds connected, but it's different and trying to use some of that math in there. So anyway, that's the kind of story about that. And then I've been writing for my band for so long that I kind of have an idea of what guys can do. And I try to challenge them and mix up different timbres and textures. And so in this case, trying to get a whole record worth of material. So that's kind of the, you know, 10,000 foot view of how I, how I did the process. I'm going to record some videos more about each piece. One of these days when I get some extra time uh, and cut them together with the videos of the tunes, we got six of the singles out now, but there's um, eight other, not eight other, but there's a bunch of other, other uh, pieces there. So some questions coming in on the live stream and back up. So we can get to them all here. So Chris Bauer asks, what notation software do you use? Finale. I liked your big chord symbols. What font were those in? Uh, Futura, maybe? I forget exactly. Uh, I've messed around with a bunch of different fonts, but you got to go into the settings and change the fonts. If you want a great source for all things engraving, go follow Darcy James Argue. Uh, on Insta and Facebook, he's posted a bunch of times like PDFs about ways of manipulating the software. Um, uh, Sibelius and Finale, you got to go in and change the library settings and the font settings so that uh, things look different and look uh, a little more clean. And the reason that I use bigger chord symbols is because I did a gig, uh, 15 or 16, and I had the great tenor player um, Ron Blake subbing in my band. Um, for Lucas and and he was like man these chord symbols are way too small like what are you doing and I was like oh okay 
Sorry. And I just realized that I needed to learn how to use Finale a little bit better so that I could actually um, have somebody read the music. So that was pretty interesting, and I kind of, you know, got crapped on for that one. But it was all good. Um, so Chris, uh, I think that's the answer. I think it was Futura or maybe it was Gotham or something like that, where you have to go into the settings, the library settings to, to change those. Uh, so we're doing some live questions here. So feel free to leave some other ones if you guys want. Uh, let's see. Tucker.showkeer. Two questions. One, he says, I want to study at UNT. What is one piece of advice for a prospective UNT College of Music students? And two, if a student only pursues one degree level there, should it be undergrad or graduate level? He says, like, maybe which degree level would you think I could get the most out of UNT's resources? Well, going for undergrad, you'll have four years. Uh, I don't know. Um, oh, there we go. We're back. Um, I didn't go through the program myself, so I can only answer from my perspective, which is a faculty perspective. Um, I think you could get a lot out of it in two years or four years. It just depends on what your goals are and where you're at. I mean, if you come in needing a lot of information, the school definitely has a lot of information to give. It's definitely a place where you're going to have a lot of time to shed and a lot is going to be expected of you. Um, there's a lot of assignments, a lot of tunes to learn, um, a lot of concerts, a lot of events to go to if you want to be keeping busy and stuff. If you want a low-key experience, UNT might not be the best fit. Um, but if you only had to pursue one degree there, I would say, I mean, I, like it kind of related to the advice I gave the other person at the beginning of the live stream. I think for your master's, you should be more specialized. And I think at UNT, you can be very general in your first couple of years and really experience a lot of different stuff. Um, maybe some of the students that are on, I know that some of them are watching, can uh, chime in with any of their thoughts too. I'm sure that you'd be into hearing from them uh, directly. But um, I think there's a lot of opportunities to try a lot of different stuff as an undergrad. Uh, and there's a lot of ways to be really super specialized too as a grad student at UNT. Um, but if I was going to say, I guess I would say, if you're just going to pick one, then I would pick undergrad because then you could take all those general skills that you've developed uh, from UNT and take them to a specialized place afterwards. Um, so if that means another a bigger state school so you can be a TA or something, um, or if you want to go to New York or go to L.A., you know, it's going to set you up in those ways as long as you are working. I mean, I pretty much wherever you go, in my opinion, like it, you have to do the work. I mean, it doesn't matter who the faculty are and where the school is even though those things play into it, it's really about in which place that you audition are you going to be the most successful based on the environment and you, and you deciding that you're going to do what you want to do. Because every school is going to have stuff that you don't want to do that you have to do. Same, It was the same at Juilliard. It was the same at Eastman. It's the same at UNT. It was the same at Florida State. It's the same for every school I've ever talked to anyone about. There's something that, with stuff that you're not going to want to do that you have to do, so... Um, so that's my answer, I think. I'm, I'm happy to elaborate more, Tucker, sometime. Uh, but feel free to shoot me a DM if you have something more specific you're wondering about. But uh, we look forward to hearing your application when the time comes. So scrolling back down here. Um, Harry O'Doing, you're very welcome. Thanks for watching. Go to work. Make some money. 
Uh, Garnett Miller, how does one work on improving your swing slash time feel? A lot of jazz educators talk about locking into that triplet swing double subdivision and accenting the offbeats. But some people say that sounds old. Uh, yeah, it sounds old. It sounds ricky-ticky. Um, that's not how I try to think about it. If you want to measure it, that is one way to measure it. But that's not how I describe it. So let me describe how I describe it first, and then I'll tell you how to practice it or how I would suggest practicing it. Obviously, I am just one person. I do not have the only opinion about this. And But uh, so... I think that if you go do da 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 da, that's not what jazz sounds like. Let me let me just sing part of a JJ Johnson solo. Or no, how about Blue Train? Boo do de Curtis. Boo do de do 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 did any of that sound like do da do da do da do da? No. So this is how I conceive of the eighth notes. They are not even, but they're also not straight. They're somewhere in the middle, and you can't say that they're all triplety because they're not. In big bands, sometimes you're gonna play something that's like do da do da do da da, you know, some big band phrase or whatever. But in a small group setting, in an improvisational setting, I like to think about the lope of the eighth notes. I know that's kind of a weird thing to say, but if you think about it in groups of four, and I think about it in two beat segments, so four eighth notes, and it's more like dee ba da da dee da 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 dee da 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 dee da da da. And if you notice, I'm accenting the downbeat, not the upbeat, because the swing does not come from accenting every other eighth note. The swing comes from accenting notes that go with the line. So especially in playing bebop language, it has to do with the line more than it has to do with every other note. And you'll notice that it actually has a lot of downbeat accents, a lot more downbeat accents than you think. Um, you think about I'm trying to I'm just trying to think of a quick example, but if you just think even heads like confirmation, right? But that's a downbeat. on and off, right? So you, without that strong downbeat, you can't have the syncopate or the accented offbeats. You have to have a strong downbeat. Um, so I really dislike when people, educators say the thing about accent, the triplet and every other one. It's like, yeah, but that's only part of the story. And it's not the full story. You want, uh, you know, there's so many phrases. It's all downbeats. There's no upbeats at all. So it's not true. That's kind of how I look at it. It's not true. The swing doesn't come from that. It comes from the accents. So that's part one. Part two is how do you practice it, Garnett says. Uh, so you do this by playing along with people that have a great time feel. So for me, that's JJ, that's Slide, that's Curtis. Other people too. Like you know, there's lots of great examples, but those are the ones that I go to. Uh, other in instruments too, like Clifford Brown has great eighth notes that are accessible to play. Lee Morgan, you can play some Lee Morgan on trombone. You know, they have great eighth note feel. So. I go to those people and I listen and then I transcribe and then I play along with that person. And then 
I play along with that person in headphones and I record myself and then I listen to my eighth note feel. And then I try to get deep into hearing the ride pattern of drum, great drummers, right? And trying to see how when you're listening, I'm getting super nerdy specific here, but see how a soloist eighth notes line up or don't line up with the interpretation of the drummer because every drummer has a little bit different uh, placement of that skip beat. Dang, dang, ga-dang, dang, ga-dang, dang, ga-dang. Some of it's closer together like dang, ga-dang, dang, ga-dang, dang, ga-dang. And some it's real triplety like Elvin Jones. So this is a very long answer to your very not relatively simple question, but um, listen, play along, transcribe, and focus on the eighth note flow. Focus on how they feel, how they go through time, and that lope. I know it's a weird word, but it's uh, that's how I like to think about it, man. Just the, the lope of the eighth notes. Don't play every other eighth note uh, accented, because it's not what jazz sounds like. If you can find one bebop solo that sounds like that for the whole solo, I would be very surprised. Even, I was just listening to Ben Webster last night, and even him, he's not playing like that. He doesn't go, do da do da do da do da do da No, he's not. So, and anyway, that's my long diatribe about eighth notes. And it's something that I tell every single high school band that I go to work with. Um, and sometimes college bands, too. And I was just working with a college band on Monday, and we were talking about this exact same thing because it's pervasive. That and the blue scale. Uh, the wrong usage of the blue scale. I mean, it's great as a starting point, but it's really uh, problematic once you start learning about harmony uh, to just say, you only use the blue scale. It's a good starting point for jamming out over F7 or something, but... Uh, anyway, I don't need to get a, into, into that and bore everybody with my opinions about the blue scale. But uh, yeah, so hopefully that helped, Garnet. Um, everyone that's here, feel free to drop in some questions. Um, you're very welcome, Garnet. Uh, if you're on YouTube later, obviously just leave some questions. We'll circle back. But um, I had a bunch of questions from... Uh, this week that I didn't get to answer. So I'm going back through those. And if you left a question today, those will be moved to the next live stream with Lucas. Lucas Pino, we're still out on the road and uh, we had to reschedule for tomorrow. But um, let me go through this list one more time. Uh, if anyone else wants to drop something in, feel free to do so. Um, I just don't want to miss anything here. Let's see. We talked about cast of characters, answer some of these questions in the last live stream. If you missed the last live stream, it's, it is up on YouTube. It'll be up tomorrow, so you can go and check that out. Um, essential albums, composing. Uh, we talked about, the last time we've talked about um, playing like wedding gigs and non-creative music gigs and how you'd make that transition from uh, playing lots of working gigs to playing only creative gigs, um, which I'm not sure when you get to a place where you only play creative gigs, but definitely more, um, that's definitely a thing. And yeah, so mostly uh, I want to thank Augustus Bradbury for that very, very thoughtful, deep question that he asked uh, before. And um, I feel like there was one more from another day, but maybe I'm wrong. Um, so anyway, if there's not any more questions, I'm going to sign off for tonight, but I'm really glad uh, you guys could be here. And one more time, I was talking at the beginning about vitamin E oil. If your chops are 
uh, dry, drying out, because mine split this morning, so I gotta take care of that. So, um, yeah, this will be up on YouTube in a couple of days, so thanks for being here. Feel free, as always, you can send me a DM if you have any other questions, and we'll see if we can get them uh, into a future live stream. So, keep on practicing, uh, and uh, we'll see you next time.